So we all take off and we run to the other side of the valley. That's the story of Exodus 19 and 20. We run to the other side of the valley because we're terrified. All we know about this God is what we've heard, what we saw in the ten plagues, and what he just did for us. Scared us to death. So Moses comes to us and says, don't be afraid. What? Are you kidding me? Don't be afraid. God did this to put his fear inside of you so that you would never worry again about the other gods. Our God is bigger than every other God. So then Moses gets, goes up. By the way, that's how we met God. So Moses get, goes up on the mountain and he gets part of the early part of the scriptures. So he comes back down and he said, I have a story to tell you. I have a story to tell you. I got it from God. He's the one that gave it to me. In fact, that's what the whole Bible is about, isn't it? The story of God. So he said, let me read to you what God told me. This is God's story. In the beginning, God. That's how God introduced himself. That's how it happened. For many of you, this is old hat. But can you imagine hearing this for the very first time? In the beginning, God. Welcome to God. That's how God introduces himself. And then he goes on and he says the most amazing things for our ears that we could ever hear. Some of the most eloquent, some of the most wonderful words we'll ever think of. In the beginning, God did what? Created. Say it again. Created. He created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Last summer we focused on the uh, third person of the Trinity, the Spirit. Remember? Here's the Spirit hovering, just waiting. Waiting to do something. So we start the whole story with chaos. The world is chaos. And by the time we get done with chapter 1, it's not chaos anymore. It's now order. And so we begin to learn something about God right off the bat. He brings order. Now, our worldview is really Egyptian. And here's the way we were trained to think. That the gods... The gods, when they create, that means that they bring order and purpose to everything. That's what that means. So the sun god, Ra, he rises every morning. We see him rise in the east and then settle in the uh, west. Where does he go? He goes into the netherworld. So when he slips behind the mountains, he's gone. And what happens when he's gone? Everything reverts back to chaos. So we hide in our houses because we're afraid of the dark. The next morning, the sun comes up again. Ah, He's there again. He creates. Order gets restored. We can relax. Everything's good. Enjoy the day. Slips behind the mountains. Oh, he's gone. We're afraid of the dark. Back to chaos. So the way we were taught, creation occurs every 24 hours. 
And so God begins to tell us that's not true. It's not the way things work. We were misled. Our Egyptian teachers taught us the wrong thing. What do we learn? God said, let there be light. There was light. God said, let there be a vault between the waters. And there was. God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky. And there was. God said, let the waters teem with living creatures. And there was. God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. And it happened. Six days he's working to make things. On the sixth day, he made us. Really? That's not what I heard. Is that really true? What I heard, what I learned growing up in Egypt was that the gods had fought one another and argued, and there was a war, a cosmic war, and, and they, all this was the result. And you're telling me that God created us? Male and female, he created us? But I thought the gods were males and female. That's what we were taught. No, he made us that way. In fact, we're the, we're the crowning moment. We're the climax. We're the high point of creation. But I was taught in Egypt that we're of no significance. We're there to serve the gods. And you're telling me this story from God, God made all this so that we would, we would represent him? That he would bless us? He made all of this for us to enjoy? I've never heard that before. Who is this God? He created all this. All right. Now, let's go back and explore just for a moment how they would have understood these passages on God's creation. You see, in the ancient world, they thought that the gods... Uh, that all of the cosmos, they wouldn't have necessarily thought of it as a creation, all of the cosmos was a big temple. That's how they thought of it. It was a big temple. So they would build a temple on the earth to be symbolic of the gods coming down and living with us. And so the temples were all designed to represent this huge grand temple in the cosmos. In fact, think with me just for a moment. Think about the, uh, the Israelite temple, the synagogue when they built it, and later on the temple. On the outside of the temple, you had the great basin of water. What was that called? The sea, right? It's called the sea. Then you had the pillars around, those great great pillars, symbolizing the pillars of the earth. Then you move into the holy place, and you have, for instance, the uh, menorah candle, the light, if you will. It's described as terms of that's where the light was, the same phrase as God's creation on the fourth day. Let us make the lights in the heavens. Because as you move into the holy place, you're moving into part of the temple, you have the presence, the bread of the presence, the showbread sitting there, symbolizing a God who cared for us and supplied us food. And then you have the veil, the great veil, which was the, the boundary between earth, where we lived, and heaven, where God lived. By the way, that distinction carries all the way through the scriptures. 
The earth is where we live. The heaven is where God lives. And by the time we get to the end of the story in Revelation, I'll just give you a sneak preview, that line disappears. And we have the new heaven and earth come together and God comes to live with us. But that veil was there to remind us that we're on one side and God's on the other. And you step into the other side. First of all, none of you ever would. Only the high priest would once a year. So we never even got to see it. We only got to hear about it. What's on the other side? The Ark of the Covenant. God's throne. God's throne. That's what's on the other side. Listen to some of these words. Psalms, for instance. Psalm 104 is a uh, praise psalm which which replicates creation. Listen to the words. Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent or a tabernacle. He lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. See the imagery there? That's image of a cosmic temple. Or you go to Isaiah 66. I just picked two. There's hundreds and hundreds of references. This is the very last chapter of Isaiah when we're looking at the final hope. This is what he says. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being. So their picture of the cosmos was the cosmos was the grand temple where God lived. And the temple on the earth was symbolic of that. So that the temple reminded them every time they went of how great this God was. That's what the temple was. So when they hear this story in Genesis 1, you know what they're picturing? They don't think like us. They're not scientifically minded. We're slaves. They're thinking God is building the cosmic temple. Wow. And on the seventh day, what did he do? What did he do? He rested. Now, you know what that means to us in our world today? We disengage from work. Right? When you rest, ah, Friday's done, it's the weekend. I can stop working. That's not the way they conceived of it at all. They didn't think of God disengaging. What they thought instead, rest means that God had finished building and now he gets to do what he wants to do, which is run the universe. He gets to run the universe. You see, the Jews all the way down through their history taught that God didn't stop working. We have evidence of that because babies are born and people die on the Sabbath, for instance. Of course, if God ever stopped, the universe would, be a pro- would have a problem, wouldn't it? So this isn't the pro- whole process of God not working anymore. What it means is he rested from his work. By the seventh day, chapter 2, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rests from all his work. Then he blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. That just means he stopped creating. 
He now does something different. He now, in keeping with all of the ancient stories, that's what they all believed, he now took up residence in his temple. So he built all this as his temple, and now he fills his temple, and he sits down and he begins to run the universe. He's now in charge. What did he do on day eight? I bet you haven't thought about that, haven't you? That's the rest of the Bible. (laughs) What did he do on day eight? He began to rule. And so when God sits down and he fills his temple, we have pictures of that from beginning to end. The earth is full of his glory. And how did he do it? By creating us. That's how he did it. Can you see how magnificently different this story is than what they would have heard in Egypt? So different. Who is this God? Three months ago, he was a rumor. And now we find out that everything we see represents his home. And he made it for us. So we could enjoy it. If we went on and looked, we would find we would find detail after detail after detail to reinforce it. Something as simple as in the garden, the waters flowing out of the garden. That was a common story because when God created when the gods created their temple, the water flowed out and watered the gardens around it. All the temples have gardens. In fact, that's true today. You go to any of the castles in any of Europe or whatever, and they all have gardens around them. So God built the temple, and then he built the garden, and then he watered it. So we would find this imagery on and on and on. Three months ago, this God was a rumor. And today we hear the story that he made all of this, and then he decided to fill it with his glory through us. He made us in his image. We're the high point. The Egyptian God said, work harder. You don't work hard enough. What does our God say? Rest. The Egyptian God say, you're not good enough. You should be afraid. What does our God say? Don't be afraid. I wanted you to see my power so that you would trust me. Don't be afraid. The Egyptian God said, you're there to serve me. That's why you're there. Our God said, no, no, I'll take care of your needs. I made this for you. I'll feed you. I'll clothe you. I'll take care of you. See how different the story is? Who is this God that we serve? We're going to ask that every week. Who is this God who just introduced himself? Number one, he's the one true living God. And number two, unlike all of the other religious systems, he's not there to exploit us. He's there to care for us. That's who God is. For the rest of the summer, we're going to move through the Bible very slowly and see how God introduces himself to us. That was just the opening chapter. In the beginning, what? In the beginning, God created. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that in a world so very dark, even today, Lord, when we, we look around us, And we're confused. 
We find other gods to serve. We find other ways to make ourselves happy. We, we try so many different ways, Lord, to find fulfillment. And yet, Lord, in the middle of this dark world, you made all this for us to enjoy. Lord, you moved in our lives in a way that, that we could truly come to know you and have a relationship with you. Thank you. Thank you for creating all this and for caring for us. Thank you for being a God who truly engages with us in our world and lives with us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come take our offering. And um, as I often say, I'm just grateful that uh, you folks are generous. Thank you. You make it possible for us to do everything we do. You know, we would not be able to do uh, VBS without you. You know one of the reasons why VBS was so successful? It's just a little thing. It's just a little thing, but it's so big, is we don't charge. We invite kids from all over the county to come. We have lots of families that come and bring their kids that aren't part of a church. Uh, Every church I know of charges for that, and we don't. Thank you for making that possible. That's your gifts. So thanks for being generous.